Good morning. Good to see you guys. I don't normally start off that way. I don't like to. I like to just jump in, but it's good to see you guys this morning. Hey, I just want to, um, I just want to kind of reiterate something that, that Chip said in, in our prayer time. I just really want to encourage you to be praying for uh, Afghanistan in general, Haiti as well. Um, they're, they're going through some, um, some pretty rough stuff. Um, a lot of people are around the world, but as we are gathering here this morning and worshiping together as a congregation, um, no matter where we might be, you know, the, the, um, the church in Afghanistan is gathering too. And uh, the, the implications of their gathering is a lot different than ours. Uh, they're risking their lives to do so, uh, to worship. And we're sharing in that community and in that communion as a global congregation right now with them. And um, as we talk about what we're going to talk about today, the beatitude that we have today, especially next week as well, as we talk about uh, blessed are those who are persecuted, I just want to encourage you to maybe set, set a reminder in your phone, um, you know, spend some time each morning this week uh, saying, saying some specific prayers uh, for those brothers and sisters in Christ um, who are part of our, our, our family uh, who, uh, who are struggling. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. The word peace appears over 400 times in Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament. And in the word peace is, is the word shalom, which you may have, have heard before in Hebrew, the word shalom. And it's not just peace in the way that we typically think of peace. You know, it's, it's not peace and quiet, but shalom, peace, is a state of wholeness, of completeness and harmony that is intended to resonate in all relationships. And not just relationships either, not, in other words, relationships just between people, but in relationship with the world and the situations that uh, we have surrounding us. When used as a greeting, because people would go up to one another and say shalom, uh, it was a wish for outward freedom from disturbance as well as a wish for an inward sense of well-being. And to a people who is constantly harassed by enemies, surrounded all, on all sides or most sides with, with enemies like the Israelite people, Israelite nation, peace was the premier blessing. Shalom isn't reduced just to a greeting, however. It wasn't something that you know, people were just going up to one another and saying. It was also a state of being that is considered to be reflective of the nature of God's concern and care for his people. As a part of the character and nature of God is, is peace. And there's a godly standard of care and concern that we're to have for one another. It is tied uh, to greeting each other, not with just some sort of formal greeting, like the shaking of a hand or a fist bump or a wave, you know, or shalom to one another, but out of desire for wholeness in the life of, other, uh, of the other person. And so that was kind of how people greeted one another when they shared the word peace with each other. It wasn't just, you know, fist bump. It was something much deeper, much more significant. When we're using the word peace, or at least I know for me, when I'm usually uh, using it, I'm thinking about the absence of conflict, especially when you got three kids in the house. You know, uh, when I think of a place that has peace, I'm thinking of, about a place where I can get away from it all. Maybe it's a, you know, remote Caribbean island, which I've never been on, but I, I, I hear something like that might be nice occasionally. Uh, maybe it's a cabin in the mountains or a tent in the park, or maybe 
for some of you, especially moms, you, you can probably relate to this. Maybe it's just the bathroom, <laughs> you know, finding a place to go to go hide. I know my wife would, would enjoy that one because that's uh, she's not even safe there, you know, always knocking on the door. And don't get me wrong, we need those places of silence and solitude. I mean, those are spiritual disciplines. We need those things in our life. But just to be aware that silence and solitude only provide peace in part. Peace, particularly the kind that is described throughout the Bible, isn't a form of escapism as much as it is the way in which we engage the world around us, the relationships that we have, the situations that we're in. And it's not just a way of approaching life, but it's defining characteristics of those who are of God. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. But here's where so many people, myself included within this, get this wrong. And maybe it's because there were some people way in the back when Jesus was teaching this in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, that couldn't quite hear and they thought he said, blessed are the cheesemakers. You know, maybe that's why they, we get this wrong. All right, now I know who the Monty Python fans are. <clears throat> Our natural inclination to developing peace in the midst of conflict is to get a person to a certain side. For, for example, I've got a couple of examples. You know, understandably so, you, you want to get somebody from uh, the wrong side to the right side, right? For example, there are many people who wrongly refer to soda as pop. And so you want to help them move to, uh, to understand that, you know, it's like when I became a man, I gave up childish things, you know, and so we don't call it pop, we call it, call it soda, right? Um, and that should be corrected. Or there are some people that believe, even some, I know one person in this room that believes that coffee in the fall should, should contain pumpkin spice. And that has to be correct. Coffee should contain no additives whatsoever. I mean, just drink that stuff straight up. I mean, come on. And <laughs> oh, that's, that's good. Um, and, and then some people believe that an Arnold Palmer beverage is half and half, half sweet tea and half lemonade. How many of you think? No, don't raise your hand. Uh, don't raise your hand. You know it's not. Arnold Palmer himself, I can prove to you that he says it's actually not half and half. Even Arizona Sweet tea, you know, they've got the Arnold Palmer premix, and they say it's half and half. Even that is wrong. Arnold Palmer himself said that when he invented that, when he started doing that, I'm sure there are other people who did it, but it was actually mostly sweet tea with a, about a third to a fourth of a mixture of lemonade within that. So it's not half and half, you know, and, and I'm not sure why all those examples beverage related. I guess I was really thirsty uh, when, I was, when I was writing this. But, you know, that's what we think is like, oh, well, we get people on the side of, of correctness, right, to move them to one side or the other. But as followers of Jesus, our peace is developed a little bit differently, and it's out of a worldview that is built on the truth of what God has revealed of himself and his character and nature through Scripture. And so our work at peacemaking is directed less by sides and more by who God is and what God has to say and what he shows. In other words, I've revealed I'm a child of calling soda, soda. I've revealed that I'm a child of drinking coffee as coffee, not as a PSL. You know, but the designation that I desire most of all in my life, who I am, the way I operate within the world around me, is that I, the identity that I want people to recognize me as is, is that of a child of God. And this is not the dividing line the world calls us to. The world calls us to division and sides that are really, I, most of the time, in my opinion, uh, they're flip sides of the same coin. It's how we become children of preferences over children of life-changing, eternity-altering truth and desiring maybe more of a role of a peacekeeper rather than a peacemaker. And here's, here's the differentiation between the two. A peacemaker just wants to preserve the peace. Sometimes we need, I mean, we need peacemakers, don't get, don't get me wrong. But a peacemaker takes it a little bit further, and a peacemaker is one who makes peace, especially by reconciling parties at variance. 
When I'm a peacekeeper, I'm much more focused on how I want to feel in the moment. I don't want to deal with the conflict. I want to push it aside. I want to ignore it. I want to walk away from it. Um, and so I, that's how I feel there, but it's not necessarily what's best for me or others in that moment. If things are loud and obnoxious and boisterous at home, you know, I can t- tell the kids, like, go to your room. And sometimes that's enough as, as a parent. Like, if that's cool. Like, tell them to go to your room. But if I never teach them a better way, if I never teach them and discipline them and show them, hey, there's a different way that you can act with, uh, interact with each other or with me you know, in, in life, then I'm neglecting my role as a peacemaker in their lives. As a peacekeeper, I'm going to care more about beating the conflict. Again, we need that as a, as a healthy functioning society. We need peacekeepers within our, our society. Uh, but as a peacemaker that is a child of God, I'm going to care about resolving the conflict taking it one more step much further so that healing, reconciliation, and redemption can take place. Peacemakers desire to participate in making whole that which is broken. That's the agenda of a peacemaker. It's what God does through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, through his resurrection. And Jesus' audience would have been torn between all kinds of different religious political factions that vied for power and influence in their life. And Jesus doesn't tell them which side to pick. He doesn't say, well, the Pharisees are more right, and so you should stick with them. He doesn't say the Sadducees over here, the, the Zealots over here, the Hellenists over here. The, you know, he, he doesn't say, here's who's got it most right, and so this is the side that you need to stick with because they get most of it. He tells them, blessed are those, uh, those of you who are stuck in the middle, recognizing maybe what each side has gotten right, recognizing what each side has gotten wrong, and understanding how we interact with and live among both, as God has called us to be who we're called to be, um, to be on the narrow path pointing people to Jesus rather than to a side. And you might wonder, and people will ask, isn't Jesus just another side? You're just kind of saying your side is the best. And what I would say to that is no. And that's why peacemaking identifies us as God's children. As Jesus is an aside, Jesus is the whole thing. There, there, is, there is nothing else. So the question for us is this, whose child do people identify me most with? Lots of different options. I mean, some of you know, like, I'm, I'm a Washington Nationals baseball fan. It's like, uh, but am I a child of the Washington Nationals? Like, is that the one thing that consumes my life? Or we could look at people in our lives and we think, oh, well, I know they're a child of politics, right? That's the thing that they care the most about. It's what they talk about the most. It's what they engage in the most. It's what they center their life around the most. Or maybe it's, um, you know, something social, you know, that they have in their life, whether it's an agenda or something they enjoy, some form of entertainment. Uh, maybe it could be, you know, you know, they have a specific view, worldview of the world, and, that, and that's their thing. That's the thing that they've centered everything around. And what do you talk about, pursue, spend your time doing? What do you act on, ignore? You know, these are the things that identify who we're children of. And for those of us who find our identity in Christ, Jesus should be, should be the, the identifier. The most important piece that we make in our life is spiritual. And, and this is not compartmentalized from our physical lives. It's all part of the same thing. And there's going to be tension. This world isn't our home, and pursuing the holiness of God will put us at odds with, with the world around us. But that also helps us stay on point. If we're arguing, complaining about what everyone else is arguing and complaining about, chances are we're caught up more in the kingdom of this world rather than in God's kingdom. Here's, here's the great irony. When I, when I look at Jesus, when I look at the competing factions that are around him, the religious political realm, there wasn't a separation there like we think there is today. 
The great irony to me about the Pharisees and the Sadducees is that despite their division, all the things that they disagreed on when it came to following God, you know, the scripture, um, the teachings that, that they uh, kept themselves separate from, the one thing they become united on the most was Jesus. Just in the wrong way. They both wanted to get rid of Jesus, not because of the merits of his teaching or the evidence provided by his miracles. After all, there were some of them that did convert, but largely by their mutual agreement that he was a threat to their position and power. Ultimately, that's what they were most concerned with. And that's the trouble we get in as well if we don't pursue godly peacemaking in our life, is that ultimately we show that we're concerned more about our positions or the power that we have in this particular realm or area or relationship that we have with, with others and not precisely what God has called us to be and to do. As a pastor and someone who's concerned with studying the Bible and, and um, trying to communicate God's truth, I'm constantly amazed, not surprised, not surprised, but I'm constantly amazed that all the different interesting ways people use scripture wrongly to support a side or an agenda that they have, a preconceived notion or belief that they want to continue and force others into, um, rather, than, rather than dealing with God, what God has actually said and called us to be, and to do in our lives. And so much of that is because we want to, naturally, we want to keep power because we want to feel in control. And that keeps us from being a peacemaker. One of these days, I'll, I'll write a sermon series solely based on social media posts uh, and articles that, you know, that illustrate this, like poor use of scripture, but not, not today. To be makers of peace, we must recognize what we're actually at war with. As a Christian, you may have people who view you as an enemy or maybe people that you think of as an enemy in your life, but our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the evil introduced into our world through, through sin. Ephesians 6 verse 12, Paul outlines this. He identifies this. He says, our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, when we don't feel at peace, we're primarily concerned with who we're at war with. But as peacemakers, we recognize the war has been won. That there is no battle that we need to fight against other people. This war that Jesus came and died for and rose again for, he, he won the victory. And that we live victoriously by inviting other people to be with us in following him. Peacemakers spend their time in the middle, drawing those on sides to God. This doesn't mean we don't have opinions. I've got opinions about everything. everything. Just at, like, I'm surprised more people don't come to me and want to know what I think about everything, because I've got opinions on everything. You ask me anything, I'll give, you, I'll give you an opinion, a great opinion, the best opinion. I've got the best opinions. Um, actually, I would say my opinions are not just like anyone else's, because I think it matters what worldview and foundation we stand on to be consistent on those issues. But do those opinions and the thinking behind them support the economy and politics and society of God's kingdom or some other kingdom? This doesn't mean compromising the truth of God's word, by the way. This means following through with it. Just as there is no truth with the absence of grace, there is no grace with the absence of truth. And living this out as peacemakers will be where we find the tension. That's why I can be friends with people who are both Cowboy fans and Washington fans. I, I can do, I've got friends, like deep, deeply close friends who are on both sides of that equation. That's why I cannot politicize every little thing that exists in the world. 
nor demonize those who do. The kingdom of God is our citizenship, and the way that we conquer the world, the way that we further that kingdom, is through peacemaking, making peace between man and God, man and man, man and creation. Maybe it's not that we need to, you know, go around and, and saying, you know, greeting each other with shalom, you know, to remind ourselves of this, but maybe you found your definition of peace being something similar to avoiding conflict or, you know, an awkward greeting with that specific person rather than pursuing rec- reconciliation. And, and if that's the case, you might, might begin to narrow down in your life why peace seems to be elusive. But as we repent, as we pursue holiness through peacemaking to allow God's image to shine in our life, as we pray, as we God, read God's word, Jesus, Jesus has provided that peace that we desperately need and that others desperately need to see in our lives through his Holy Spirit. And his promise is to counsel and advocate and help us to develop that peace and share that with those around us. Jesus calls us to be peacemakers, like there's an action that we are called into as followers. And so let me give you a a few suggestions of of what it looks like to be a peacemaker um, that you can put into practice right away. The first is this, is listen. Peacemakers listen. Most of the time we are thinking about, uh, sorry, let me not say we. Most of the time I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next. I mean, how, how, what is my thought on this? What is my opinion? How do I clearly communicate this? And sometimes I don't hear what the other person is actually saying and where that's coming from. Sometimes we're, you know, intellectually dishonest with what somebody else has, has said. We're uncharitable in the way that we interpret it. And so we take it in a, full, a whole other direction that we would rather see it go. But we need to listen to those around us. The thing that drives me nuts more than anything else is being ignored. I don't know if anybody else feels that way, but man, that is the quickest way for my kids to um, see disciplined dad come out, right? Right. Don't, don't ignore me. Look me in the eyes, listen, acknowledge that you've heard what I've said, because we long to be heard. When we hear people speak, understanding what they're saying where it's coming from. Sometimes it comes from their pain, um, their experience, an absence of peace in their life. But sometimes it comes from, you know, a place in which there's a deep care for what's happening on around us, like really trying to listen and understand where somebody is coming from. Um, we, we don't need to, as believers, we're comfortable with where we are. We're at peace because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We don't need to get the first word in, and we don't need to get the last word in either. We need to care about the other person who's speaking. And so we need to value them enough to learn and grow in listening. The second is this, after listen, listening, we need to speak softly. And I'm not talking about this. Um, what I'm talking about, though, is not engaging in the yelling that everybody else is doing. You ever get in a room, this, this, happened, this happened just last night at the dinner table. Just get to the point where everybody's talking and the volume rises. Or you're like you're the first one at the party, and then you realize like 30 minutes into it as everybody else is, why are we yelling? You know, because everybody, everybody's in there, everybody's speaking, everybody wants to be heard. Um, truth, truth doesn't have to be yelled. Um, it can, it can be spoken clearly, concisely, graciously, and, and that, will, that will be of the most benefit to you and those who are listening. 
when we have the credibility, um, when we've been given a voice to speak into somebody else's life, let, let's, not, let's not waste it um, because of, of the things that we fall short on. You know, the opinions that we hold because we're human beings and we're, we're broken and um, we don't want to deal with somebody else's brokenness. Let, let's, use, let's use our voice to point people to, to Jesus. The third is this, set aside personal desires. So much easier said than done, but so much of the lack of peace that we have is because we are so inherently selfish. Um, so many times we're only worried about the goodness of our own life, our own peace, and at some point that is going to exclude the good and the peace of someone else. And just as Jesus does for us, we are called to set aside our personal uh, personal desires. Um, not, not in such a way that we engage in or allow ourselves to be brought into unhealthy situations, unhealthy relationships. I mean, this is, this is not us rolling over and letting things happen to us, but this is us evaluating and looking to ourselves and saying, where is my motivation really coming from? Is this coming from God or is this coming from me? The fourth is this, don't retaliate. Don't retaliate. This is where things get easy in the list, right? I mean, this is the eye for an eye thing that Jesus talk, talks about. This doesn't mean correct wrongs. Peacemakers correct wrongs, but peacemakers don't retaliate. When I'm wronged, everything in me wants to make it known and to have revenge, and that is the deeply broken human side of me, not the part that has been corrected by God's grace. While I don't advocate at all taking abuse, we just talked about this in our personal desires, um, at, at all, like that is a wrong that needs to be corrected. So this is not allowing or taking abuse in our life, but in many situations when we're wronged, our instinct needs to be changed and guided by the Holy Spirit to not retaliate. Um, you know, so many examples that happen each day in our lives where we could, we could feel like this. I mean, somebody cuts me off. The first thing I'm thinking when I'm driving, such an easy example to, to, to come up with. The first thing I think of is, like, oh man, I'm going to pass them and like get, get right in front of them and brake check them. I'm, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't do that. I have never done that. Maybe once, maybe, maybe once. Um, retaliation does not bring about justice, however. That, that is not how we correct wrongs. Retaliation is not, not the way. That's the eye for, that's what retaliation basically means, an eye for an eye. Like, well, I'm gonna do the same thing that they just did to me. And it might feel good in the moment, but it doesn't bring about justice. It doesn't help us feel better in the long run. It doesn't pr provide any correction for behavior. It doesn't provide a path for reconciliation. And when we choose peacemaking over retali retaliation, we're being just like Jesus. The last one is take the first step. When I'm wronged, I want the other person to come crawling back to me. Oh, you owe me one. You, you gotta come and ask for my forgiveness. I want their head to be low. I want them to beg for my forgiveness. I'm, I don't really, I'm not really like this, right? But th this, it feels like that sometime. It's like, oh, you know, they're, they're gonna figure out they're wrong and then they better come crawling back, you know, and recognizing what they've done. Peace hangs in the balance for us taking, taking the first step and extending peace. Sometimes this is gonna happen at a distance because the other person just doesn't wanna have anything to do with that, and that's totally understandable. 
But where our hearts and minds are, where our souls are, that, that matters. And how we're thinking about that person um, and, and what we wish for that person's life. The goodness and wholeness and completeness of those around you, that peace hangs in the balance for us to take the first step. This is what Jesus does. And so we're in good company when we do. Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, that while we were dead in our sins, completely broken, utterly hopeless, Jesus died for us. God didn't make a way when we came back, like heads howl, uh, you know, on our knees, heads bowed, um, and, and just saying, God, we're, we're so sorry. He, no, while we were dead, while we were done, that's when God sent Jesus to save us. We didn't say come up with a plan that shows us grace and mercy and is still just. God did that on his own while we were dead, spiritually dead, physically dead, and yet God offers us eternity. In the midst of a world of rebellion and retaliation and lack of peace, Jesus came. He lays down his perfect life on the cross for us so that we might have peace. So maybe there's somebody in your heart and mind, maybe there's a situation in which you know that there's not, not quite peace there. And I want to encourage you to think about what it means to listen, to speak softly, um, to set aside your own personal desires, to not want retaliation uh, you know, towards that person to take the first step, what it looks like to live out this peacemaking that God calls us into. And maybe, maybe peace has been elusive for you because you just haven't taken that step to peace that God offers us through Jesus. And I wanna encourage you to think about what it looks like and what it means to pray through, to, uh, to ask, like, come let me know. Uh, come grab somebody that you came with this morning and say, all right, what, is it, what does it mean to say yes to this peace that Jesus offers? We all know what it looks like to not have peace. We know what it looks like in our family, around the globe, with anger, with open hostility, social media, the list goes on. And so Jesus calls us to stand loud and clear and stands in opposition to the world around us. Not only can we have peace, but we are invited to make it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Let's pray. God, despite whatever else might be going around in this world, in our community, in our own hearts and minds. You have offered and provided and sustained peace for us. Peace in the knowledge that regardless of what consequences we still deal with with our sin, that you have corrected that through Jesus, that when we say yes to you, when we have come to you, when we have been washed clean with your grace and mercy, that when we, when we think about your justice and how you correct wrongs, that you, you include the ability for us to say, we're in a place that we can be at peace. God, we ask that you give us the strength and the courage that we need to live that out among other people, to be reminded of it, to be conscious of it daily as we deal with so many different opinions, so many intensely held beliefs that, that we can be makers of peace in all of those situations 
when we are guided by you and not by a side. God, we thank you for this moment that we come to in our worship together right now where we are reminded of the peace and the, and the cost that you were willing to pay in order to provide it as we take communion together, as we're reminded of your broken body and your shed blood. God, we praise you for that, and we ask that you help us to follow Jesus by being just like he was in our lives with others. It's in his name we pray. Amen.